Welcome to 1514, a podcast of the Biblical Counseling Coalition. 1514 draws its name from Romans 1514, where the Apostle Paul encourages the church that they are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to counsel one another. I'm your host and the Executive Director of the BCC, Dr. Curtis Solomon, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. This episode of 1514 is brought to you by the BCC's Building Bridges Campaign. Help us build unity by creating connection in the biblical counseling world by supporting us monthly. Go to biblicalcc.org, click on the donate button, and sign up to support us today. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of 1514. I want to remind you that we're in the midst of our Building Bridges campaign. This is a campaign designed to build our monthly giving base so that we can continue to accomplish our mission of building unity in the biblical counseling movement. If you want to find out more and help us, you can go to biblicalcounselingcoalition.org forward slash building dash bridges. You'll see our progress to our goal of $3,200 a month in monthly giving and be able to sign up there to support us as well. Today, uh, you're going to hear an interview that I did with Christine Chapel. Christine is the author of a few books, and she presently serves as the outreach director and podcast host for the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship. And we are talking about her most recent mini book, Help, I've Been Diagnosed with a Mental Disorder. Christine shares from her own personal experience being diagnosed with a mental disorder, as well as the counseling experience she has over the years helping other people as well. It's a really wonderful resource. I encourage you to check it out, as well as listening to and enjoying this episode. I hope you enjoy it and have a wonderful day. All right. Well, I'm super excited today to have with me Christine Chapel. So, Christine, thanks for being with us. Would you mind introducing yourself to our audience? Hey there, Curtis. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here on the podcast. And yeah, my name is Christine Chapel. I am a wife, a mother of three, and I am the outreach director and podcast host for the Institute for Biblical Counseling and Discipleship, otherwise known as IBCD. And I live in the upstate of South Carolina. And then also I'm in the middle of my ACBC supervision hours. So I've been plugging away for about four years (laughs) towards certification, you know, starting first with getting my training through the IBCD care and discipleship program, getting those certificates and then moving on to the process, you know, through ACBC. So yeah, I hope to be done with those supervision hours by the end of the year. And that'll be a very great celebration when that's that's done. It's been a long time <laughs> working. Yes, yes, it will be. It'll be exciting for you and exciting for people to be able to connect with you more. I'm Obviously, you're already doing counseling and those supervision hours are going towards that, but that's super, super helpful and exciting to be finished. So thanks for thanks for doing that. And for those who aren't familiar with IBCD, be sure to check out their, their resource. They have tons of great resources on there. They're a BCC partner. They actually have a really great app and uh, it's one that makes me want more biblical counseling apps to be out there. So uh, there's lots of good resources there from IBCD. Today, I wanted to talk to you specifically about your new mini book, Help, I've Been Diagnosed with a Mental Disorder. Can you tell us what led you to write that resource? Yeah, well, it really, to be honest, just came out of, as so many, I think, resources tend to do, my personal experience and just my my walk with Christ through life and through the ups and downs of various things that I've gone through. I spent about 20 years battling against 
depression off and on. Um, as a teenager, I had experienced being labeled with a few different mental disorders, to be honest, from depression to panic attacks to disordered eating, self-harm. I was hospitalized for the first time on a 72-hour suicide hold. And that was all actually even before I came to know Christ. That was as an unbeliever uh, when I was a teenager. But fast forward, you know, sometime after I met Christ, and still had some lingering issues in those areas. And after a season of particularly difficult darkness and challenges, I did end up voluntarily getting hospitalized for a second time. So this time I was hospitalized as a Christian and that was a really difficult thing to go through. And then, of course, go through the process of at that point being diagnosed again. And then this time with a bipolar 2 diagnosis. And so part of my desire to write this mini book is to you know live into that call of comforting others with the comfort that God has comforted me with. But two, you know, when I was in the mental hospital, and I know, of course, there are many reasons why the Lord's path brought me to that place. But I firmly believe one of the reasons, Curtis, on the Sunday that I was there, there was a chaplain doing a service, a very superficial kind of service. It was, she quoted some Bible verses, but you know, when you're in that type of setting, it's broad. But I remember seeing a gentleman come up to her at the end of the service and I'll never forget what he said. He said, can you please get me a copy of the Bible, the Quran, the Book of Mormon, and any Jehovah's Witness pamphlets that you have on hand? And I sat there and I was just like astonished. This man was desperate for hope. Like he... And I knew, knew a bit of his story and he was desperate for hope. He was going and like, where can I find hope for where I'm at right now? And so that I really feel like was just kind of lit a flame in my heart that took a few years to be fanned where I wanted to steward this story for the purposes of what would I say to that man now? You know, having gone through this, what what comforts could I offer through the hope and help of the gospel? And that is essentially what I've tried to put into this mini book. Well, I really appreciate that. I appreciate you sharing your story with us on on this episode, but also just in the book. And and it's one of the things I wanted to draw out for people is to understand where you're coming from, not as a as a doctor, not as a psychiatrist or, uh, you know, PhD in biblical counseling, but as somebody who's been there, done that, live, lived and walked through mental diagnoses. And you're really, uh, and it definitely comes through in the book, wanting to minister to others who are in the boat that you've been in and gone through. And so thank you so much for the courage and, and willingness to share that story. One of those th questions that you address in the book, you start out with it. It's great because it's a really broad question. Like what is a mental disorder? We hear people talking about mental health all the time in society. It's everywhere. Obviously after the Olympics, there's a lot of discussion of, of mental health of athletes and things. So when, when the world or when we talk about a mental disorder, how are we defining that? What does that mean? 
Yeah, well, obviously, that is a term that, you know, we've received from the field of psychiatry. And so they've they've put that term together. So from from their perspective, you know, the DSM five, which is, I think, sometimes called like the Bible of psychiatry is, uh, you know, a manual, essentially, and they would define the term mental disorder. I'm going to just read straight from how they quote it. They say it is classified as a syndrome characterized by clinically significant disturbance in an individual's cognition, emotion regulation, or behavior that reflects a dysfunction in the psychological, biological, or developmental processes underlying mental function. It is a mouthful. And it goes on. (laughs) Mental disorders are usually associated with significant distress or disability in social, occupational, or other important activities. And so I offer that definition in the mini book and preface it by saying this is very technical and jargon, but it's important just to have a basic understanding of what it is we're talking about, because I just want to offer a little bit of clarity for the person who is going through that process of what does this mean? You know, there are there is a spectrum, right? And Curtis, you, you know much more than I do. There's a spectrum of disorders that are in the DSM-5, and some may fall to be under categories that we might say are more moral in nature, and then others may fall under categories that come with, you know, significant biological challenges and and issues at at play. And so I just wanted to give the reader kind of a basic overview of of what it is, because I felt like it was important then to go into more deeply in the mini book as to how God's word can actually even interact with this type of definition. The Mike Emlett quote, I, I quote after, you know, so he says, notice how it's talking about emotion behavior and cognition, like these are all areas that fall under the realm of the scriptures and how the scriptures help us to respond to those types of challenges. And so I I use that as a jumping point to then show how God's word does interact with these types of problems. It's not negligible. It's not irrelevant. Well, I think what's helpful to it is, is you're trying to help the the person who's been diagnosed understand what the doctor's told them. You know, if I, if you think about the way that mental health is talked about in the broader culture, it sounds very cut and dry and very specific. It's almost in, in as much conversation as there is about neuro neurology and neurobiology and other things like that. And we think mental, we think brain, it sounds like you've been tested and shown to have a disruption in your brain. Or something like that, that is a, a definite disease that we've been able to identify. But that that definition actually in the DSM, as you pointed out, and as Mike em- you quote Mike Emlett pointing out, it covers a broad range of life issues. It's not just a mental health, uh, when they're being honest about what they're trying to describe, is actually, it's spiritual, it's relational, it's social, it's moral, it's all of those different things. And so it's helpful for people who get that diagnosis to realize, wait a minute, it's, this is not as undermining and disheartening as a, as a biological disease that I have that I cannot get over. There, there should, can be uh, an element of that, as it mentioned, the physical, but that's not necessarily what it's talking about. So just Giving people information, I think, is is a helpful thing to do, and I appreciate you doing that. One of my questions to you was kind of like, what's the help and what's the hurt of a diagnosis? In your experience as, as somebody who was diagnosed with bipolar, with depression, with these different things, how did you? How did that help you in some ways, and how did that hurt you in some ways? 
I have to be honest, that experience was a catalyst for care. And I use that term in the mini book, but maybe not in the way that some people might think. And I go on to explain a little bit more, and I'm sure we'll we'll get to that in the conversation. But for some people, it serves as a catalyst for care. So they get to the point where they say to themselves, or somebody makes them look at their life, look at what's going on, and they get to a point where they acknowledge that there's something serious going on here that is above my ability to to manage in my own strength and in my own wisdom. Um, and there are a lot of different types of labels. And so I have to speak broadly. Right. But it can um, to to go through the process of of what we're talking about can serve as a catalyst for care. It can provide clarity for next steps for what I might do to like, let's say, if if you're struggling with deep depression and suicidal thinking, then, well, you you know, getting seeking help uh, or at least care in this way could lead you to create a safety plan or put, get a team in order where, you know, you know, here's the things I need to not do. I need to stop drinking alcohol. For instance, that was something that, you know, by God's grace, he helped me to recognize was a, a matter of necessity, you know, and there are other ways that we can, when we go through this process and may inform the next steps we take, uh, we may need a team that helps us to, you know, address nutritional issues. We may need people who can help us to address sleep issues. Uh, you know, there's a variety of different things. And so those types of things can be helpful where I would say that the diagnosis is hurtful I think there's a lot of different ways, but maybe I'll just for our purposes, focus on the relational aspect of, you know, how other people begin to perceive us, you know, so when I'm sitting here talking, saying I've been previously diagnosed with this thing, you know, depending on what your experience is with these types of issues, you may now view me different. And you may now bring, you know, a, a certain lens to the person that has been labeled. And I found that to be true in my own personal relationships and just in general. General. And so it's almost as if when we receive this label, other people are tempted to view us different, but then we're also tempted to view ourselves differently. And that was really like the first battle that I had even in the hospital is, is this label who I am now? Am I now this broken, unfixable, diseased person? who is doomed to be on medicine and have periodic blood tests and wrestle with these issues for the rest of my life. And so just briefly to answer your question, those are, you know, the helps, you know, it can help us to seek out appropriate care when it's necessary, but it has the potential to totally shift our whole perspective of how we see ourselves and how we see ourselves even navigating life in the future in um, the context of the world that we live in. Yeah, you talk about that quite a bit in the book, the the identity component of it, that when you get a diagnosis, it can be very easy to begin to, as you just said, look at yourself in a particular way and begin to take on this identity. Like, And, and I think you talk about in the book, people, when you, when you get a cold or when you get the flu, you don't say, I am the flu. But oftentimes in our vocabulary with mental health issues, people will say, well, I am bipolar. I, uh, I, I am PTSD, really, or I have PTSD, or it becomes all-consuming and, and part of who you are as a person. Uh, and I appreciate you addressing that. Where where do you point people to in the book to to correct that harm? 
What I'm trying to offer in this book are just foundational, stabilizing biblical truths, the stabilizing biblical truths that anchored me in literally in the mental hospital when I was wrestling with what this new label that was put on me would mean for my my life going forward. And so remembering that my truest identity as a child of God and really the term that that struck me most was as, as God's beloved, you know, that the fact that this label does not supersede God's name for me. The, the truest thing about me is that I am kept, uh, I have been saved by grace. I am an adopted daughter of the King of heaven. And so and really that that's a testimony, right, of the Holy Spirit, you know, testifying to our hearts that we are indeed children of God. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. And just so that perspective meant just so much to me because it told me that no matter what the label was and no matter what the problems I was going through were, which, by the way, were not uncommon to man, right? The scriptures say whatever we're going through is nothing new. There's nothing new under the sun. And so it may be overwhelming and perplexing and strange to the people who live around us and they may not get it. And maybe we don't either. It's not new. And so. I am not the sum of my label and my symptoms. I am who God says I am in Christ. And he says, I'm a child. And therefore that will inform my perspective of how I'm going to view these problems moving forward. And, and for me, that meant I'm not going to view this from a position of I'm locked into this. Hey, look, maybe God will let me struggle with various things for the rest of my life. I don't know. I don't know what his plans are, but for now, for today in the moment I find myself in, I can have hope that he's going to grow me through it. And whatever that growth looks like, I'm going to entrust to him and just know that for the moment for today, I can rest in knowing that I don't need to make this label become an all consuming part of who it is that I am. Yeah, no, I really appreciate that. And that, that identity component is so essential to to all of us as Christians, we don't want to identify ourselves as, as any disorder or any sin or anything other than the way that Christ identifies us and talks about us uh, as who we are. Now, obviously, there are things about our lives, components of our lives that that do exist. Uh, we don't want to deny and ignore that either. We are entering a new phase of the 2021 Building Bridges campaign. Last month, we highlighted the past ministry of the Biblical Counseling Coalition sharing BCC classics on our blog, and rebroadcasting the history of the Biblical Counseling Coalition podcasts. In this new phase, we will share about the current ministry of the BCC and how God is using our ministry now. Help us continue our mission of creating connections to foster unity in the biblical counseling world. You can join the Building Bridges campaign by signing up for a recurring monthly gift at biblicalcc.org. As you hinted at already and you kind of mentioned the goal is not necessarily to, I mean, in one sense, we would love it for all of those struggles and difficulties to go away. But we also have to understand and realize that, as you just said, there may be certain things that I do wrestle with for the rest of my life. Um, how do we help people who've been diagnosed with mental orders, uh, mental disorders balance that or, or have rightful expectations, uh, about 
their situation, their life, and what that looks like moving forward? Yeah, well, I think the temptation is, as with anyone who is suffering, right? And so I think one of the other things I try to communicate is, hopefully, is just a compassionate tone in this mini book, because the person who is in this situation, whether or not, you know, no matter how much, you know, sin they're contributing, they're suffering, Like this is an experience of suffering. And my guess is that they could choose to be going through some other thing. They probably would, you know, and so to, to view that as um, an experience first and foremost of, of suffering, I think is important, but because it's suffering and we're suffering some kind of pain, right. Or I love really, to be honest, Curtis, thinking of even this particular situation as a kind of affliction, because when Paul talks about affliction in second Corinthians, the term that he uses for affliction is um, it doesn't mean physical affliction, right? It actually means uh, that the word, the definition could be unpacked as an internal pressure or a feeling like there's no way of escape, like you're hemmed into a corner. So even the biblical word for affliction just creates this, I think that mental disorders fall very well into that description of, of lived experience. We do feel like we've been given this label or we're having this collection of problems and I feel like there's no way of escaping them. I'm backed into a corner. I've tried everything that I know how to do. I'm doing, I feel like I'm trying to do all the things and I just can't get past it. And because of that pain, right. And that desperation, we can be tempted to make our whole lives revolve around fixing the problem. I have got to get rid of this label. I have got to get rid of these issues. I do like for me, I don't want to go through these uh, depression cycles anymore. I don't want to have sadness in my life at all. And that, and that is part of my experience was just to be transparent. It was, I got to a point in my life where if I was going to experience any sadness, then life was not going to be worth living. And that's a painful place to be, you know, but over time, God showed me and specifically through biblical resources like Dr. Hodge's Good Mood, Bad Mood book and and many others that I had been living for this goal of fix it. I need, I don't, you know, I got to fix it. I got to fix this. It's not about what do I do when these problems come? It's more about if these problems come, well, then I'm a failure and I've blown it and that life is just not worth living anymore. And so really part of the book is, is cautioning against that fix it kind of mentality. And I don't do it in an unsympathetic way because I know how hard it is and how desperate people are. But at the same time, the fix it mentality in this type of context is going to breed hopelessness, right? Because um, it's putting all of the focus back on ourselves. Yeah, it's really clear that you're uh, definitely the compassion comes through to the reader and you're definitely writing to the reader to to give them hope, to give them encouragement, to, to lift them up and helping them come out of that fix it mentality. You point them to a different and, and, and you, throughout you have different perspective changes are encouraging to say shift from thinking about fix it only to this, or instead of thinking about your identity as this, think about your identity in Christ, really shifting their perspective significantly on a few ways. How do you, how do you, where do you point people to, instead of thinking about fixing it, getting rid of it, being done with it, what's the shift in perspective that you encourage them to have? Yeah, well, really, I, again, this, uh, out of my own experience where I enjoyed 
what I'd like to call like a watershed moment was when I was reading Dr. Hodge's Good Mood, Bad Mood book, and he described in it uh, someone who had been battling uh, various challenges. And similar to my story, she got to a point in her life where, um, you know, if she wasn't going to get relief of her burden, then there was no hope for her. That was that was where they kind of settled as they went through their counseling process. And um, there was a line that Dr. Hodges has in his book. And he uh, basically said that he, you know, counseled this um, woman to get to the point where uh, she could say, I want to glorify God with my life more than I want to breathe. And when I read that, it jumped off the page to me because I realized then that my whole goal up to this point as a Christian walking through the various, you know, highs and those that I had been going through for a number of years, I realized that my goal, even in my spiritual growth and pursuits, was to figure out how to use God to eradicate all experiences of suffering and sorrow. And we know that that's not that's, that's not the purpose, right? That's not, what am I here for? I'm not here for having God eliminate suffering and sorrow out of my life. Like that goes against what Jesus tells us. He says, you will have trouble. Um, you know, I mean, the Bible constantly tells us expect these things, but I recognize that I wanted to be depression free more than I wanted to glorify God with my life. And that if I didn't get that, then like I said, life's not worth living. So um, in the book, we talk about glorifying God as, as our purpose, even in the place that we're in now. And I feel like for me, that was something I could do, right? Because when you're sitting with this type of a label and you know how overwhelming the problems are, and really you can't even see the future. I mean, obviously none of us can, but for, for someone in this position, you pretty much just feel like life is always going to be this way. I and mean, that things can never, there's never any progress that's going to be available to you. And the way that people talk to you about, you know, disorders, like you mentioned earlier, it does seem like for the most part, the conversation is you are going to have this quote for the rest of your life. You know, as I'm talking right now, I'm not being treated for the label that I had received previously. You know, praise God, I haven't had cycles of depression for a number of years now. And I give him 100% of the glory for that. But Curtis, years ago, I was told that my brain was permanently diseased and that my yellow brick road for stability and happiness would be either ECT, which was electroconvulsive therapy, or a constant stream of a variety of different medications. And that's just my story and every everybody's story is different, but that's very overwhelming. And so for the person, you know, shrinking it down to the moment, what can I do in this moment as I'm, I'm grappling with this label? And then we train, you know, as we go on from it is I can, I can glorify God, right? I cannot fix myself, but I can in this moment do the next right thing that gives God glory and honor. And what I try to make the case for in the book is that sometimes that looks like just coming to him, right? Sometimes that looks like engaging him in the particular distress that we're in, in that moment, um, because that's obeying a command that he tells us, come to me and, you know, bring, bring your troubles, um, come and listen to me, see what I have to say about them. And so that's a really long answer, <laughs> but, uh, but hopefully it kind of gives a little bit as to, you know, how that worked out in my life and why I was so passionate about making sure to include it in the mini book. Yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's really good that you do. And it is, it is a great testimony to God's grace in your life to, to 
to see where you were, uh, being a suicidal teenager, uh, and then suicidal adult. And then now walking with the Lord and not having those cycles, not dealing with that. But it's also that you acknowledge that there may be people who are on medication long-term or who are in, uh, therapy or whatever for or in counseling for a long period of time. And the reality is, is none of us, uh, ever get to the point before we meet Jesus where we don't need help period. Like we're going to need encouragement. We're going to need teams of people around us, doctors, family members, the church to grow us and to point us to Christ. And we're going to be doing that for other people as well. And uh, so, yeah, you took on a broad mental disorders are very range in a, in a long, long spectrum, like we talked about uh, before. Um, but the, the reality is it's who is the person of Christ? Who are we in relationship to him? And are we walking with him uh, through this? And whether he gives us freedom from that struggle here and now or not, are we walking with him? And I, I love that quote that you pulled from Milton Vincent. In the mind of God, the perfect Christian is a progressing Christian. And just pointing to the fact that this is a process and a progression that will take all of life. You know, I've had Bob Somerville on here before. And you even kind of hinted at the beginning, Christians wrestle with these things. These are not things that are reserved for those who are outside the faith. And then once you become a Christian, you'll never struggle with depression. You'll never struggle with sorrow or anxiety or fear. We are all frail people. Um, so, yeah, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. We're out of time, and I was really... Initially, I thought, are we going to be able to fill up a whole podcast on a mini book? But I think the topic is such a such a big and important one that there's way more that you covered in the, that and way more we could talk about. So thanks for sharing that. I encourage our audience, go and check out Help. I've been diagnosed with a, with a mental disorder. It's from Shepherd Press, and it's part of the Lifeline mini book series that Paul Tauchus uh, is editing. So be sure to check that out. Christine, the last couple minutes are, uh, well, before I do, I just want to say, do you, any last words, any final encouragements to either people who are wrestling or the people who are helping them? Um, if you're someone who is wrestling, I think I would just love to encourage you with the word of comfort that, that God knows and sees you right where you're at and that his care for you is individual. It's uniquely for you. It's uh, personalized. You know, I think sometimes when we are uh, in this process, we feel very much unseen. We just feel like we're being clumped together with a group of people who have this particular set of problems. And, and I know I personally felt unseen, but God knows you from the inside out and he sees how hard you have tried <laughs> And, um, and he offers you rest, uh, come to him. He does not view you as disordered. He just doesn't. Um, and for the person who is helping, um, I would encourage you to embrace God's perspective on this person who is hurting because it can be tempting to relate to someone who is struggling through the lens of their disorder. But see the person, see the person who desperately wants change and desperately wants to be different and is having a hard time and really in need of some compassion, as well as some practical biblical wisdom for moving forward that is administered in the right time, um, according to God's word and, and by the help of his Holy Spirit. 
Yeah. Well, thank you. Thank you for those. Uh, last two minutes, I have a segment called Two Minute Favorites. Uh, so people have just a little little fun way of getting to know you a little better. Um, are you ready for this? Sure. All right. <laughs> the first question is, what is your favorite food? Um, chili. What is your favorite color? Teal. Favorite sport? Mm, I guess football. Favorite sports team? Um, it was the Packers. <laughs> All right. Uh, favorite, favorite gift you've ever received? Oh, my kids. Favorite, favorite gift you've ever given? Gosh, these are hard questions, and I don't have a good memory. I'm just going to say kids again so you can go to the next one. All right. Favorite word? <laughs> um... Bigger. Least favorite word. I don't want to answer that. <laughs> All right. Favorite candy. Favorite candy? Uh-huh. Oh, I love Skittles. Favorite ice cream flavor. Oh, like ones with with coffee and caramel and nuts. I don't know what they're called. Uh, favorite <laughs> favorite book of the Bible. Oh boy. I guess Psalms, but that's that's a very impossible question, but I'll say Psalms. Favorite book outside of scripture? Um, you know, the one I go to the most is Depression by Ed Welch. Favorite uh animal? Uh owls. If you could choose any superpower, what superpower would you choose? Well, I just got asked this a couple days ago. Yeah. Um, flying. Uh, favorite Bible verse. Um, I don't remember the address, but I will lead the blind in the way they do not know and paths they have not known. I will guide them. I will make the, I gosh. Anyway, it's that one. Right. <laughs> this is so stressful. Well, sorry to stress you out, but that's the end. We're, we're all okay. done. Two minutes it's are in, over. It's in Isaiah, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> well, thanks so much, Christine, for, for being with us on 1514. And thanks so much for, for sharing your story and this wonderful resource with us. Thanks, Curtis. Thank you for listening to today's episode of 1514. If you'd like to find out more about the Biblical Counseling Coalition, you can visit our website at biblicalcc.org. Special thanks to our podcast engineer, James Wills, who does all the post-production editing to make this podcast sound so wonderful. also want to thank my assistant, Carrie Felton, for helping to arrange these interviews. And a special thanks to Andrew Riddell, who composed and recorded the music we use on 1514. I hope you have a wonderful day.